Amen. Good morning. Um, my name is Pastor Jared, and I uh, have the privilege of speaking this morning. <clears throat> We're going to be reading in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, if you want to turn with me there. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen as well. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 says this, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Would you join me in, in prayer again? God, thank you so much for who you are and thank you so much. Um, that you have invited us into your worship this morning, Lord, um, that you're a God that loves to hear our worship, Lord, um, and that you're a God so worthy of all the praise we could ever give you. I just want to echo the, the lyrics of that song, Lord, that we would make room for you this morning, or that your spirit um, would move this morning in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that you would make room in this message for your spirit to work, God, that it would not be any words I say or anything like that, Lord, but that it would be your voice speaking and your scripture speaking, Lord, and that you would put off any and all distractions coming to this Sunday, Lord, that we would hear your truth and that it would cut through all the lies. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, many of you know I'm, I'm one of five brothers, so my houses was always rowdy growing up and, and I got a lot of stories from that but I also have a pretty big large um, extended family um, one of my aunts has seven kids as well so and they live down in Virginia and one day they uh, were visiting for the holidays and we decided it was a good idea to go um, to the zoo so it's seven of them and five of us and God bless our parents for thinking they could handle all of that and we go to, I think it was the Philadelphia Zoo or the KMA Zoo, and, and we're going through and everyone's having a good time. And my brother Josh had this hat that like he loved. He had this weird thing when he was younger where he would like find one piece of clothing that he would get obsessed with and like never take it off. So this was like his new hat and he wore it every single day and he loved it. Um, and he was wearing it on that day. And my cousin, um, we'll, we'll say his name, his name is David. And hopefully he doesn't watch this. <laughs> he took my brother's hat, my brother Josh's hat. He took his hat and he's like messing around with him. Like, oh, come get your hat, man. Come get your hat. And my brother Josh is like the oldest brother. He's like the brother you don't mess with, right? Like yeah, everyone knows, like you can pick on everyone else, but you don't mess with Josh. Well, David didn't really have that sense. You know, he didn't have that sense of fear. And he thought it'd be super funny to take Josh's hat and throw it over one of the fences, right? Because that's hilarious, you know, obviously. We've all done that. And the fence that he threw it over happened to be the, the lion enclosure. So that hat was gone, right? I mean, Joshua was absolutely devastated. I don't know how my cousin David is still alive to this day. From that moment between his dad and my brother, I thought someone was gonna die. Right, but I mean, that hat was gone. Uh, no one dared to go into that lion's den. No worker dared to, you know, sorry, the hat is gone. I don't know why you threw it over in the first place. This kind of seems like your fault, right? But this morning we're gonna be talking about a lion 
And uh, we're going to be talking about the Lion of Judah, right? Someone that is so fierce and powerful that no one would dare approach, right? That we know of all who is capable of. And I want to look at just the exact um, just context of this verse and revelation and kind of what's going on. Pastor Mark did a really good job last week of just kind of explaining the immediate context. Because when we read the book of Revelation, I don't know why I separate it in my mind, but I forget that it's written to churches, right? This was a letter written to encourage churches. Many of these churches were going through difficult times. They were facing persecution from Roman leaders and, and I mean, severe persecution. And John is writing this letter to them to encourage them, to give them hope and not just a fleeting hope or a fleeting joy, but eternal hope and joy. And he's talking about this, this lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the root of David, right? And he's saying to open this scroll. And maybe you're wondering why, why is this scroll important or why are we talking about this scroll and why is John weeping here? If we back up a couple verses, it's talking about an angel actually says, who is worthy on heaven and on earth to open this scroll? And no one answers. So John is weeping and one of the elders says to him, don't weep. There is one who is worthy to open the scroll. It is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And, and there's a lot of debate um, about what this scroll might be. Some people think it was the, the scroll that was actually Revelations written down. Some people think it was the Old Testament. Some people think it was the Old Testament and New Testament in its entirety for the first time. Um, but kind of after my studying and, and looking really diving deeper into this passage, I saw that it was really, I think it was the will of God, the final will of God that only Jesus was able to open, that only Jesus is able to know and see and, and know what was in there. And, and if you disagree with me, that's okay. We can fight after the service. All right. So now we know the, the stage is set. This is what was going on that this, there's only one worthy to open this scroll. It's the, it's the lion of Judah, the, the root of David. But I mean, the lion of Judah sounds cool. We just sang about it. But if we don't look at the significance of what that means and what is going on, we kind of miss the meaning. So I want to go through of what that actually means to be from the tribe of Judah and what the significance of the lion really is. So I want to look at, uh, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 49. And I just want to explain what is happening in this passage. So if you remember Jacob or Israel, he went by both names at this point, is talking to his 12 sons. And he's actually prophesying over them. And this is actually the first prophecy recorded um, in scripture from a man directly to someone else. And he's talking to his 12 sons. And it, he's talking about what is going to happen to his 12 sons. The blessings or the curses they'll receive. But prophetically speaking, he's speaking to the future. He's speaking that these 12 sons of, him, of his would become the 12 tribes of Jerusalem. So not only is he talking to his sons, but he's talking to what is going to happen to these tribes of Jerusalem or excuse me, Israel. So he's talking to them and we pick up in verse eight when he's talking to his son, Judah. And he says this, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. 
Man, there's so much in these couple of verses here. I mean, if you read the other blessings and, and, and what Jacob is saying to his son, this is a really good one. Some of them were not great. Some of them did not get a good blessing like this. But Judah is receiving this blessing that actually would be the first son's blessing. Judah's not the first son. The first son was Reuben. Um, he did not receive the first son's blessing. Judah did. Judah would now be responsible to be the head of the family. He now was responsible to take up the leadership that his father, Jacob, was taking, that he was in charge of his family, that he was leading his family, that he'd get a double portion of the inheritance. And we see this in in verse eight, it says, your brothers will praise you. We know that when Judah was born, he was named Judah because it literally means praise, to praise, right? This was a prophetically speaking that, he would be praised, that his brothers would praise you. God put in charge, not only Judah of his brothers, but he put the tribe of Judah in charge of the other tribes. This was going to be the leader of Israel. Whoever was going to come from the tribe of Judah was going to be responsible for the kingship. It says the scepter would never leave this tribe, right? God chose specifically the tribe of Judah for this. And although God used this to to prophesy this about the tribe of Judah, This actually would not come to fruition for 640 years. So God is telling Judah this, and and he's speaking prophetically through Jacob to his son Judah, saying that that Israel is going to, your brothers are going to praise you. The rest of the tribes are going to praise you. And he's probably like, man, this is awesome. This is going to be the great rest of my life. My my sons and my ancestors will, will have the best lives ever. This would not come for 640 years until David took up the mantle of king. Right? How wild is that? That the Lord was working in and through Jacob and through Judah, but it wouldn't come to fruition until 640 years till we know King David was so that he would become king. Right? We know that, that David was in the line of Judah and we know that God established a covenant with David. God said, I'm going to make a kingship out of your family that your ancestors, that you'll, this kingship will never depart from your family. And this was true all throughout Judah was in the line of the kingship and, and David's line continued on and on. But if you look at to the time of Jesus, many of the Jews are very distraught. They didn't realize what was going on because in this promise here, it says the scepter would not depart. It says in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter symbolizes this kingship over Israel. Um, David's line, like I said, continued on through Israel. But when Jesus came to earth, there was no Jews in power anymore. Herod had some power over them. The Romans had the power over them. The Jews actually thought the scepter has departed from the line of Judah. We no longer have this kingship. We no longer have this prophecy that God spoke over our tribe. Where is our kingship? And it wasn't until Jesus was born 1,600 years later from this prophecy that this was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, that he was from the line of uh, Judah, that his mother, Jesus, or sorry, sorry, his mother, Mary, and his father, who wasn't actually his biological father, Joseph, was even in the line of Judah. They were in this kingship line. Jesus had the right to the throne. He was in the right family. He had the right ancestors. The king, the scepter belonged to him. He was deserving to be king and people knew that when he came on earth, that he was going to be king. Now, if you look in verse 10, in the ESV, it says, 
nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And this might sound like confusing, like who we're talking about this hymn, what is tribute, what does this mean? Um, If you look at the original Hebrew, as I was playing around with different translations, the actual Hebrew there for him, it says Shiloh, right? Shiloh was a place in Israel and it's referred to as such all throughout the Old Testament, except for one specific time. And it's in this passage. It's talking about until Shiloh comes. Well, if you look at the Hebrew of what that means, it actually means for it is to he who belongs, right? He whose it is that which belongs to him. That's what this word means for Shiloh. It was was commonly used from the Jews to refer to the Messiah here. And we now, our eyes are open to see, wow, this is not talking about just Judah. This is not talking about just his tribe. This is speaking of something greater and bigger to come. And that is the line of Judah. That is Jesus. I love the way um, the NLT puts verse 10. It says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to him whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. The scepter belonged to Jesus. The scepter belonged to the line of Judah. It was rightfully his. Although this was prophesied 1600 years prior to Christ coming on earth, this is important because Jesus had the right to the throne. That not only is he in the line of Judah, he is the Messiah, the one foretold of the true fulfillment and ultimate fulfillment. The one who would come and conquer and bring obedience to all people, all tribes, nations, tongues. We can't even understand who the line of Judah is until we understand the significance of being in the line of Judah. The, the Bible is a beautiful thing like this. We can sometimes gloss over things. And when we look into the true significance and to the true meaning, it brings out deeper meaning, right? That if we say, oh, he's the line of the tribe of Judah. Okay, Judah's a cool name. No, this had significance of where and what line and what family Jesus came through, that the scepter was no longer going to pass from Judah, that it was going to be prophesied and ultimately fulfilled through Jesus. Now that we understand that significance of what that line of Judah means, we kind of have to understand the significance of why a lion, right? We know why he's from the tribe of Judah, but why a lion? I mean, why couldn't it be the pigeon of Judah? You know, like the the grasshopper of Judah or like maybe the spider monkey of Judah. That kind of sounds cool. Like I could get behind a spider monkey God, you know, like, but it wasn't any of those. And I'm kind of glad that I don't serve a pigeon God. You know, I'm really happy that my God fighting for me is a lion, not a pigeon, you know, not a grasshopper, that he is a lion that goes before me, that he is someone to be feared, glorified, praised, and that that lion is on my side. A lion symbolizes unstoppable power, fierceness, beauty, majesty. The lion is the top of the food chain. He's the head honcho. It's the reason why you don't get your hat when you throw it into the lion enclosure. If it was in the beaver enclosure, we're like, all right, yeah, we'll get it, you know. I don't think the pigeons have an enclosure in the zoo. I'm not sure. I think they just hang out in Philly most often. Right? But they're the kings of the jungle. They're not to be messed with. A lion's roar can be heard from five miles away. They know, the animals know when a lion is around where their territory is. 
I think one of the most beautiful pictures of, of Jesus as the Lion of Judah and, and what even that could possibly look like for us is in, in the, the books and uh, the, the, the a movie of Narnia. Who has read the book or seen the movie of Narnia? Okay, cool, cool. So I, I recently just watched it over again because I just wanted to see and just remember the story. But I mean, Aslan, right? Aslan is this great lion, the true king of Narnia. And if you remember the story, it's following these four siblings and they're going out and they've lost their friend Edmund and, and now they're going to soon lose their, their brother or sorry, not their, their friend. What's it? Thomas. Thomas. They lose their brother Edmund and everyone's saying, you got to find Aslan. You got to find Aslan. Aslan's the true king of Narnia. And all they know at this point is this wicked witch of the north and, and how she's going to come up and how scary she is and, and how she led our brother away. And they're saying, you have to find Aslan, the true king. And there's just these whispers about him and these legends about him. And, and one of the quotes that just really stood out to me is when they're talking, these two beavers that are helping them and they're, they're talking about Aslan and they're asking questions. Oh, is he good? Is he, is he safe? Is, is, is he true? Is he real? And, and the beaver says, don't you hear what Mr., Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Right? This was the legend of Aslan. Of course, he's not safe. He's a lion. He's dangerous. He's powerful, but he's good. And he's our king and he's on our side. And the story continues and they're, they're leading into the journey of Aslan and they find where he's encamped. And there's this whole army assembled against the, the witch, right? There's this whole army and they go to meet Aslan and Aslan comes out of the tent. And what does everyone do? They drop down immediately in the presence of just seeing Aslan and the, the siblings who don't really know what's going on. They, they're looking around, they see, and they drop right away, kneeling before their king, kneeling before the great might of Aslan. This is our God, right? This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the great lion of Judah, who deserves all our praise all our, our reverence and respect, all our fear. And yet we don't have to fear because he's on our side. And as the story goes on, you kind of see that the kids as they're a little scared and anxious to approach Aslan. As the movie goes on, you see them walking with him, hugging him, petting his mane, going out before him, talking face to face with him. This is our God. Of course, he's not safe, but he's good. And he's on our side. All these legendary stories were true. Our Lion of Judah, so majestic and powerful that every knee should bow before him. This is why titles and names are so important. Because when we dive into the meaning and discover what this is, we realize just the beauty and the power of our God, of our King, Jesus this is who the lion of Judah is. He has the scepter belong to him. The one who to whom it belongs has come. He is the lion of Judah. He is fierce. He is beautiful. He is majestic and he's our lion. So what does this mean? Right? If Jesus is the lion of Judah, what does this mean for me? How does this affect my life? 
It's cool. It's fun to watch Narnia. It's a good movie. But what does it mean to me? Most importantly, it means Jesus is king of my life, right? Jesus is king of my life and I need to surrender to the mighty lion. It means if Jesus is king over my life, then he has authority over my life. If someone is a king, you pay your allegiance to them. The people of Narnia knew who the real king was. They knew it was Aslan and they bowed before him. They served him. They went out to battle for him. If Jesus is our king, he has authority over every aspect of our life. For those of us who have confessed Jesus as Lord, then we've confessed him as king. And I think it's so hard to understand when we say Jesus is Lord, right? We don't use that terminology very often, Lord. Um, but this idea of Lord, it's, it's a king. It means Jesus is king, right? When you're saying Jesus is Lord of my life, it's saying Jesus is king of my life. It's saying Jesus has every authority over every aspect of my life, that every part of my life, not just on Sundays, is surrendered to Jesus, our king. That means my pride is surrendered to him. That means my finances are surrendered to him. That means my skills and my abilities are surrendered over to King Jesus, the Lion of Judah. God is not just king over our life on Sunday mornings. He's not just king over our life at Bible study or when we're with our Christian friends. He wants all of us. He wants every aspect of life. He wants you and he's king over you and he has the authority over you when you're home alone scrolling on your phone. He's, he's king over what you post on social media. I know I said it, social media, sorry. Right? He's king over how you talk at work, how you treat your coworkers. He's king over how you talk to your wife and your husband and your kids and your neighbors. When you go to work, when you're in school and how you talk to teachers or people in authority to you and how you respond to them. He has authority over every aspect of your life. And if he really is the lion of Judah, if he really is our king, then he deserves it. He deserves our respect. He deserves our praise. He deserves our service to him. He deserves full surrender. God is often described in the Old Testament as a jealous God. He wants our full hearts. He doesn't want you half of the week. He doesn't want you one day of the week. He wants every single day. He wants every thought to be captive to him. He wants every action to be captive to him. We're so good at compartmentalizing things and saying, God, you know, you can have this aspect of my life. You know, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you this and this. Now, I'll give you my family, but my finances, I, I just kind of like to control those. I kind of just feel a little better when I'm in control of those. You know, in my relationship and my, my pursuit of marriage or, or whatever it may be, I, 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 I got that, God, don't worry. I don't think you know my type. Right? Or, or whatever it may be, God wants all of it. He is the Lion of Judah. He demands it. And even in the midst of that, while we're, we were still his enemies, he went after us, he pursued us, and he conquered our sin and shame. If Jesus is the Lion of Judah, what does it mean to me? It means he's king of my life. 
It means he's king of my family. And I should live in that surrender and I should live under his authority in my life. If Jesus is the line of Judah in my life, how does this affect my fears, worries, doubts, anxieties? Well, the good news is the lion is on our side. When the beaver was talking about um, Aslan, he said, of course he's not safe, but he's good, right? Of course our God is powerful, but he's on our side. There's no longer any room to be afraid. Isaiah 31.4 says this. It says, For thus the Lord said to me, As a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called against him, he's not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. God is not scared of what you're scared of. God does not have doubts like we have doubts. He does not have any insecurities. God is fighting for you. He's going to battle for you. So when we're scared and we have doubts and we're overcome with the stress or the anxieties of life or our mental health seems too big to handle, know that the lion of Judah is fighting for you. He has you. He's going before you. And when we're fixated on him, Right? And when we see him in all his beauty and power and love, our fears, our insecurities, our worries, our anxieties start to get smaller and smaller because we know who's on our side. It's not just Jared going out the battle, swinging fists and trying to fight. It's the Lion of Judah. This is why we have confidence. This is why the Bible says, do not fear. Because we have someone who has gone out before us. And when he roars, let our enemies know who's on our side. Let the lies in our head know who's on our side, that the lion of Judah is fighting for you. He's fighting for me. He's going out. He's not scared. Whoever goes against him, he does not have fear. We need to keep our gaze and our eyes fixated on him and who he is. This is our lion. This is the lion of Judah. This is why we have confidence. And although this is all immediate things, right? I want to get back to the book of Revelation and and what John is doing here. He's giving hope. He's giving joy to these people. And no, it's not just a momentary thing. And no, it's not just in the moment, quick confidence, Okay, I'm good. He's giving them something eternal to hold on to. And although we can look now and we can see the line of Judah and how he conquered our sin and how he pulled us out of darkness, he is coming again. The lion of Judah, Jesus, is coming. And he's going to take up his throne and the earth is going to be his footstool. This is the hope that we hold on to, not just some momentary thing to get us through tomorrow, but that one day the Lion of Judah is going to come again and he's going to conquer all things. And the book of Revelation says that every nation, every tongue, and every tribe will worship him. That will come and it says Judah and, and, and Genesis foretold of this, that he would bring obedience to the people, that every knee will bow before him. We live in this already not yet state, 
right? We're dead to sin. God has conquered our lives. And yet, when Christ comes again, we will be fully redeemed and glorified in him. We have hope and we have joy, but when Christ comes again, we will have that in its entirety. This is hope. This is real joy that Christ is bringing something that this world does not offer us, that this world could never offer us. This is the hope that we have. This is the joy that we can hold on to. The scepter has not departed from him. He's coming back. He's bringing joy. He's bringing peace. He's bringing his power that every knee will bow before him. I want to close with one more quote from Narnia about Aslan. It says this, it's the golden age prophecy about Aslan. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Lord, we come before you, God. And I know for me, Lord, I'm absolutely humbled that you as the line of Judah came after me. Lord, that you're on my side and you're fighting, Lord, and that fills me with abundance of confidence when I go against my problems. Lord, and I pray as I approach this week and as we go out and approach this week, Lord, and, and fears start to pile up and lies start to pile up, Lord, remember, just remind us of who's fighting for us. Remind us that you have sent someone out, your son, before us to fight our battles, that you have not left us alone that you, you've sent someone, the Lion of Judah, Lord. And we know, and we live in this already not yet state of, of the frustration that can become the battle between our flesh and sin and the spirit and, and what you've done already, Lord. That, but we look forward to what you will do. When you come, Lord, there will be no more tears. You will wipe all away sorrow. We will be filled completely with your love and your joy and your peace, God. And we long for that day. We worship you this morning, Lord, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.